0: Hi, I'm David Green, and welcome to Episode 3 of Season 23 of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Today, I'm talking to Ian Cook, VP of People Analytics Solutions at Vizia, who are sponsoring this season's podcast. I've known Ian for several years and have always been struck by his genuine passion for the people side of business and the subtle arts of bringing the right people together for optimum results. Ian has spent the last 15 years evangelising about how data can turn that art into science. But what I find most interesting when talking to Ian is his understanding of when data and real-life humans need to be appreciated in separate but complementary ways. There's a rule of people, what is true of a population is not true of a
1: person. An individual is an agent, an agent has choice. So as soon as you prescribe to the manager, do X, and the manager says, oh, I've been told to do X, think about your own emotional reaction to that. Even if you are the piece of the population that's supposed to respond in a certain way, just out of badness, you're going to do something different. So this notion that technology can somehow or other inform a manager of exactly the right action to make a human do
0: something, is just fundamentally flawed at its source. During this episode, Ian and I discuss the dramatic rise in people analytics over the last few years, and what it means for the field now that it is in a phase of mass adoption. We look at the shift in what business leaders expect from HR when it comes to people analytics. We look also at how to get employees on board with your data-driven ambitions, and how to help HR business partners become more data literate. Ian also explores the concept of turmoil contagion. I started the discussion by asking Ian to tell me a little bit about his background and the journey he took to his current role. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Ian Cook, a VP of People Analytics Solutions for Visia to the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Ian, it's great to have you on the show. We've known each other for quite a few years now, but but please firstly, can you provide listeners with a brief introduction to, to you and your work?
1: Yeah, no, for sure. So uh, I simply describe myself as somebody who's very passionate about the people side of business through early stages in my career, recognizing when you can formulate a group of people with a purpose, with commitment, with a connection to each other. You can really make amazing things happen. I've, I've always been fascinated by that question. Um, as a career, that took me through consulting for several years based in the UK, uh, working with a bunch of blue chip companies. For the last 15 years, I've been putting the data behind that behavioral view. Uh, I ran into what I describe as a CFO problem where we had some really amazing programs we wanted to do. We, we knew that they would help the business. We couldn't get them funded. We couldn't get an understanding in the business of what this work would do. As a son of an engineer, my response to that was, well, let's go find the data. And so the uh, last 15 years, I have been engaged in building, uh, selling, educating, explaining data products that help people make better decisions about people.
0: For the last six or seven, eight years, we've been bumping into each other at conferences and it, it's been great to see your journey and, and, and Vizia's journey over that time. So so welcome to the show, Ian. There's been a dramatic rise in the interest in people analytics over the last two to three years, and I think especially since the start of the pandemic. I'd love to get your overview of the people analytics landscape today. You know, what's your view on the current state of the field? A personal story. When I talk to uh, uh, an
1: HR leader who will rename Nailis, he's like, I'm not sure why you're doing this people analytics thing, Ian. It, It seems like it's a bit of a fad, roll forward. It is no longer a fad. Like where we would see the the state of the the market, I prefer to talk about the state of the practice. We are at the mass adoption phase. Literally, you know, lots of organizations that that kick the can down the road, focusing on getting their data in order first, have recognized that actually the use of the data is imperative. And so the growth we're experiencing, the growth that others in our space are experiencing, the how do I do this is really huge. So I think there's a just a huge groundswell of people, you know, actually starting their analytics journey, which is which is fantastic. The other point I'd make David is that the distribution of leaders to majority has never been greater. It was it a, a session yesterday one of our clients talking about putting learning data against sales data to determine its effect on business outcomes. That's leading edge work. That's beyond like, let's just say it's beyond HR it's like HR and beyond but that's the people aspect of business practice being delivered through a people analytics team you know I would say the majority of practitioners getting into people analytics, like yeah yeah I'd like to get there but they probably see that as five years down the line and yet we've got and again I know a lot of the the folks that you talk to would be in that same state the the level of sophistication and impact and transformation they're able to um, effect through their work is is at the strategic HR level, strategic business level. At the same time, we've still got folks who are like, yeah, I'd just like to have an accurate headcount. So I haven't I've seen I haven't seen this spread quite as broad as this.
0: Yeah, it's certainly, I mean, we've we've talked about this before, but for the benefit of listeners, you know, we're both seeing more companies investing in people analytics teams, those people analytics teams getting bigger in terms of the people, the amount of people and the the, the variety of skills that they've got in there you know, more spend now on on people analytics technology. It's a category in itself and more impact as well. So that kind of shift in people analytics being about HR, something to help HR to be really people analytics about the business. I know it's something that, that you've talked about a lot, Ian. You know, have have you seen that shift? Have you seen a shift in what business leaders expect from HR? And maybe that's as a result of people analytics. And and what are you seeing with, with some of the clients that you're working with at Vizier? No,
1: it's great question, David. I love it. So, I've always talked about this notion of a push and a pull strategy when it comes to the adoption of people analytics. And the push strategy was HR population, educating HR business partner, taking that out to business leaders. You know, hey, we think you should pay attention to your people data. We've seen a lot of success with that push strategy and things like uh, using predictive retention. What the pandemic created was this enormous pull wave. Um, our own usage, so we our viziers orchestrated to understand who's looking at it. When I looked at it the other week and we, we get about a million people hitting our system every week. We saw a 40% spike in consumption in March of 2020. That consumption wasn't more HR people coming in. And again, that's not net new clients, that's new users. And those new users were people managers, business unit leaders, divisional leaders. They were people who were having to make decisions about people. And that's, you know, very consistent in terms of the change. And so that's created this pull where actually to run my business in some elements, it's scarcity in some elements, it's a lack of skill in some elements, it's, you know, questions around cost and all of those questions have become front and center, highly present, and people understand that the data is there to answer them. And so we talk about a people impact gap where the business has woken up. Let's just say to the effect that people have on results, the business is becoming aware of there's this rich source of fuel in the transactional data sets that live within inside HR. And we see more of a pull from business like, you should be able to answer this question for me. You should be able to help this. So whilst progress has been made through taking it to the business engaging in the business but the, the what changed in the last two years is this the demand curve from the business saying like i can't run without understanding my people the right way and, and much of that you know not just like what can they do and what do i pay them but you know where are they what else could they do how is their sentiment about work and and their connection to us as a business. I'm going to try and avoid the word engagement. I might just remove that word from my vocabulary for the next (laughs) few years. It's kind of uh, somewhat overused. So, you know, how are they connected to the business?
0: Yeah. And I think, as you said, you know, initially when the pandemic broke out, a lot of the, I guess it was about business continuity, you know, what plant what offices, what plants, what you know, what distribution centers are we gonna to have to close down. A great example from a company that we work with, I think you might work with them as well. They're a farmer distribu- farmer distribution company and their people analytics team was able to pinpoint within within a matter of a few days when their distribution centre on the east coast of the US was going to need to shut down, and they were able to put contingency plans in place to make sure that the, pharmacy, the pharmacies and the hospitals were, were serviced. You know, you can't get more important than that. And as you said, then it's about understanding employee sentiment. And I think as we now hopefully come out of the pandemic and, and move into the post-pandemic world, it's going to be a lot about understanding hybrid work, I guess, isn't it? You know, and, and will employee sentiment change in the next six, 12 months and will employ a sentiment around wanting people back in the office. And I'm printing a very broad brush there. Will that change as well as they start to see the positive impacts of hybrid working? Who knows? But. No, and, and I, I love the comment, David, because I think it is, it's what is creating
1: this pull from the business—is the, the number of examples that are now that, that you have, that we have that are now available for executives to understand that, people data can avoid something like shutting down an entire plant like that is not a trivial outcome in any way shape or form it it, it takes it so far beyond resignation rate and so i think those educational informative pieces they start to work around business and somebody goes like well how come they can do that and we can't and and what's that about so uh, that's what i mean like it's a great example of that pool strategy the demonstrated results capacity to actually make a difference is becoming understood, and and that's when change really accelerates.
0: And I guess more expectation from the business, more realization of what people analytics can do for the business. That's a shift in expectation levels on on HR and and people analytics teams. And I'd be interested. You know, you've spoken about the people impact gap. You know, with business leaders on one side of that chasm and HR on the other. Can can you explain why that gap exists and and what? companies can do what what people and leaders what HR professionals can do to close that gap
1: De- definitely so so i think the gap exists for two two reasons one is the business very few business leaders are really trained in the aspects of human performance that make a difference in their world so you're often promoted as a manager because you're capable of managing the task components you you may or may not have gifts in terms of activating people And yet the amount of revenue we all generate from knowledge is really, really high. And so when you rely on knowledge and you rely on discretion and you rely on an individual to give of their best, it becomes less about, you know, did you get A done? And it becomes more about like, how do I help you be the best at this task? So there's actually been a shift in what it means to lead people and manage people. It's been subtle. It's been over time. The massive go home and work experiment basically brought that into bright relief because all these managers who managed by walking around in the past couldn't do it. So I think there's this whole notion of like managerial capability became really key. And so the you know, the gap existed because people weren't thinking that way. They were like, well, I've got my stuff done. I've got my people. We're we're fine. We'll just carry on. And so the realization of the gap, the what's possible, the I feel like I'm fighting with one hand tied behind my back because I don't have the data. So that, that's kind of what's creating the energy on one side of the gap. The other side of this gap, and I, I've, I've talked about this a lot, you know, for the longest time, the focus of HR investment has been around efficiency. And I'm slightly frustrated that we're seeing it again in that we replaced the HRS. Is that, that wave's happened. You know, that took form-filling to a cloud-based digital transactional system, it, it got you efficiency gains. Though, again, the, you know, the evidence for that return to the business is poor. Now we're in the next wave, like, well, let's sit some technology on top of the technology we had, which was supposed to make us more efficient. It's going to make that more efficient. And it's like there's there's a point where efficiency becomes a diminishing return. Uh, you know, the investment for reward is just not there. So I think that on the the people side often the investments have been you know initially correctly focused on efficiency and i I talked to a few consultants who are who were part of that wave and they're like yeah it it was the right thing to do but it's not right the right thing to do anymore so we created the conditions in hr of digitizing all the events all the transactions all this massive amount of insight about people we haven't made the investment to take that to the business Sometimes we haven't seen it as our job. Sometimes we don't know it's possible. I think there's been you know, uh, growth and, and development in each of these functional aspects of the business that were done in silos, but now we're in a phase in business where we have to go back and rejoin the silos. The way I've seen it done is, uh, and you've probably seen the same, if you can, you hire somebody who's got that business acumen and analytic orientation to walk across the chasm and say, how can I help? What business problem are you facing? How do people, you know, make or break your goals this year? If you had data that would inform this strategy, what would it look like? How would you use it? How can I get that to you? And so you engage with the stakeholders on the business side, not in a blanket like here's the dashboard everybody needs. That's a bit of an an HR outpush there's a place for that, but I think we start to really con- close this gap when again the I'm a, I think I'm, i think you and I know exactly the same story about that distribution business where you walk into the business and, and you say like, what are you facing in this uncertain times? if I can find some data to help you make a decision about that, would you you know pay attention to it would you welcome it? And, and that revolutionized the trajectory for that team. you know it starts with an individual, It starts with an intent from the CHRO. We have seen it start with willingness from the business side. There's always friendlies on the business side who who increasingly get, like people make or break my results. So I think you start to close the chasm through stakeholder engagement investment in the capability and and just really short and you know long and the short of it is prioritizing it
0: yeah tying it to what are the questions we can answer with analytics What some of the hypotheses that you want to test it's just as you said it's having that business acumen to break things down isn't it to into hypotheses and questions that you can answer with analytics and with with, and with data um i'm going to move on to the the next one you mentioned earlier that we are in a mass adoption phase now people analytics which means that there are a lot of companies that are still early in their people analytics journey we've probably got people listening to this that are either in people analytics teams that have been recently formed or they're HR professionals working in organizations that is investing in people analytics many of these have invested in in HR technology they may even have some good data but they're not quite sure how to move to the next stage you know what advice would would you give to those companies
1: my advice to those folks is to Not underestimate the value of accurate headcount. The organizations that we have seen that have grown success from their practice started by engaging finance, engaging other stakeholders in a simple conversation around what is the source of truth for headcount. Because it wasn't coming from their HRS, it wasn't coming from finance. They needed to treat the data from their HRS to clean it, um, and they needed to get a accurate conversation going at the executive level so decisions about whether we hire or don't hire or move money from one group to another group are actually based on a clear and true picture and and again I think it's like well headcount I don't see that really being featured in people presentations like you won't however you should not underestimate the value of a clean accurate headcount that finance and HR Agree on, you know, a win for us is when we hear one of our clients saying, "Yeah, finance have given us responsibility as this source of accurate headcount reporting." Do not underestimate that as a win because all of a sudden you are the credible source of data about people that the business will come to and trust to move it forward, because you've demonstrated that you can create a foundational metric like revenue. So don't get. Pulled away by this notion, you have to do a sort of Google moonshot, and that that somehow you will be a hero. I'm, I'm kind of really not in the follow the heroes mindset around people. And like I like I love the work, and you know, ha- love talking to the people. It's it's exciting. It's a kind of intellectual joy. But if you're actually going to pragmatically move your practice forward, get the business to recognize that you are the source of current, accurate headcount, and you know the associated specific cost of people and once you've got that established you've earned the right to go and ask the next question which is okay now we've got this data what do we layer on that will answer a more sophisticated question and the other thing the other, thing, <laughs> the other really really strong piece of advice i have is say no hr has often grown up as a service oriented piece of the business business asks we do again the successful people on at Linux teams we know they are like actually we have a purpose we have a direction and a mission. We exist to serve the business in a very specific way. If your request falls outside of that, we will politely decline. Because for all the energy and, and, and people and technology that's going into this space, is still not enough. And so when you only get strategic when you say no. It earns you credibility. It actually, whilst it feels like it's wrong, it raises your profile because you, oh, actually you value your time to the level where you defend it. Even on a personal level, it's a brilliant tactic. You have to do it politely, you have to do it the right way. But actually, you know, this this runaround for a whole bunch of data that you think you want, yeah, not doing that. What have you thought about in terms of how it helps the business? How consistently would you need this? Is this designed to just reinforce a decision you've already made? Or is this actually going to change the shape of the answer? Because I'm not in the business of retroactively proving somebody made a good or bad decision. I'm in the business of changing the future trajectory. So saying no, saying no politely being really crystal clear about what you do and don't do. Another traditional thing that we've done in, in HR and I've been guilty of this myself, like performance management processes. Well, we've got to roll out to everybody and everybody's going to be the same. And it's like, no, you do not have to roll people analytics out to everybody. Find one place where you can make a difference, go deep, make a difference, and then spread virally from there. So the change methodology to actually build adoption is is counter to well, we, everybody's got to hit the HRS on the same day. So everybody has everybody has to hit the People Analytics system on the same day. Fundamentally wrong. No, if only five people are using your People Analytics system, but you're saving the business five million dollars, that's probably okay.
0: Gives you a good base. That's for sure, and I love that. So you know, if we start with Build credibility with the business, earn trust from finance. You don't want finance pull it trying to disagree with your figures. I mean, that's a really good point there you made. It's so important. Yeah, and and then prioritize. You know, we, we you know we work with with organizations on a kind of two by two. Yeah. Hey, we consultants um, impact complexity. You know, what you want is high impact, low complexity. Ideally, but you yes. know, some high impact, high complexity. Of course, the kind of big bet projects, probably around skills and, and and stuff like that. And and as you said, you know, don't. I I mean I hear it all the time with that. you don't try and bore the ocean if you're focusing on you know a couple of areas of your business that are maybe experiencing high growth or are strategically important because um you know versus maybe some of the legacy parts of your business do that you know and make an impact and then spread from f- spread from there as you get more investment you will have get more investment if you if you create an impact
1: you also get no more investment when you say no like we we we've just recently closed a, a UK client we're excited about that and one of the arch Steps in the process was this individual saying, I would love to do that. I see the value in it. I see there's an immense opportunity for the business to do that. With my current resources, I cannot do this consistently at a level of quality that you need. I can show you what I am doing and what I can do, but whilst this is a really legitimate request, I am unable to meet it in a way that I'm comfortable with without further resource. And that's a really positive, like, I'm here to help, but I'm not here to kill myself. And, um, I think that's that's a brilliant and and much needed approach and uh, it's a habit HR should practice more.
0: I agree. I agree. So so one level up from companies that are kind of earlier on in their journeys, you know, other companies might be investing in dashboarding tools that might aggregate data. You probably know quite a lot about this, um, and be on a mission to democratize their their data, but they might be struggling to get people on board with that mission. You know, so whether that's people in hr maybe that's people in the business you know what advice would you would you give would you have for those companies
1: yeah i'll I'll take those in order dave if i may so the, the the first one is our cpo paul Rubenstein does this really nicely so you've got a credibility you've got trust and you're in the kind of broader adoption you know target a certain level like a business unit leader or department head who's got a big enough population that they can't see what's going on and so they care and then just develop a cadence through the hr business partner of a quarterly update so fit it into the quarterly business review and it's like significant joiners significant leavers significant changes what's happening in terms of pay change any risks around you know possible significant exits or a sentiment change that may affect your capacity to get your business done and you just set that up as a cadence on so, so then it becomes like oh okay when I used to engage with HR they were telling me who hadn't filled in their performance review Now they're coming and giving me, even if it's all green, they're giving me a balanced perspective on my people such that I can look at money and people, work it if I'm going to get there. And just make that a cadence and build that up as a habit. And again, it's one of these things that's worth piloting with friendly. So find the business leader who cares, run the cycle, run the content, run the process, get it good, and then spread. Because there's so much of, of... so many unknowns unknowns in there in terms of do people know how to interpret resignation properly do people understand that this data is what this data means do you have the confidence in the business of assembling this data and sharing it that's one piece the second piece is we talk to lots and lots of people who are like well i'm just struggling to make all the assets i need because i I made 20 dashboards or i made 10 dashboards and, and that was what the business unit leader wanted they now want their 20 reports to see the same but I've got to run security. I've got to run filtering. I've got to run all of these things on top of the dashboard. And that's where the the traditional dashboard model breaks. And so what we've done inside our technology, and we think this is the right way to go, is actually get personalization into the technology. Based on an event that happens, we will email a very, very tight, discrete set of information to a manager about that event. Your representation levels have dropped below the benchmark set by the business here's where it changed, here's what it was, here's who left, here's who joined, here's why this is the case. Triggered only when that measure has shifted into their inbox, they lead it, lead back to the application. We think this, I call it the last mile problem, but we think this is the right way to actually understand the broad adoption of data. It's not more dashboards, it's not more education, it's not more, well, no, let's turn you into an analyst and hope you explore and find what you need. We've tried that we were guilty of thinking that was the right approach we haven't found the traction with it that we think so we're kind of flipping where instead the data informs what is sent and what is sent is then personalized relevant contextualized for that that individual so you know getting it into the hands of each manager isn't isn't just doing more of the same it's for me it's a quantum step in complexity we can trigger the event because we've got benchmark rates inside our technology so i know if your resignation rate is going up 10% higher than your benchmark, it's in my technology. I know that. And so that is a meaningful result to a manager. Don't just tell me it's going up. Tell me it's going up more than the market because that's scary. So you need the context. You need the event set for the customer, for your own organization. You need the context for the organization in order to start triggering those things well. We're right at the leading edge of that. Dave, I'll be you know totally upfront. front. We, we released the feature uh, two, two releases ago. So it's still early days but that's how we are conceiving and we just think we just got started but that's how we are conceiving of this getting it out to the the thousands of managers that we have you may people may know i hope people know gary russo if you don't know gary russo find him on linkedin follow him he distributes people data to 13,000 managers 10% of his workforce so he is serving and he's a team of 10 <laughs> he's serving 13,000 people so it, it gives you a sense of what can be done and he'd be the first to say, like, not every everybody's in there every week, and not everybody's getting what they need. But we know this is the direction it's heading, and we know it needs to be better.
0: And I guess ultimately, what we want to do is drive action. And the more you personalize something for a manager, make it easy for them. Uh, and I guess, I guess, maybe a, a next step will be, and you know, these are the recommended actions. You know, and and again, so that's not going to apply to everything, of course. Um, but you you could get to that recommended action, that kind of nudge to 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 get to get decisions taken, or it drives a conversation with the HR business partner. I guess it's, it's it could be either or, couldn't it? I think it is, and I, again,
1: I I like to I was like to have the pragmatic conversation because lots of people are excited about nudge. I prefer to talk about that. It's a nudge, but it's like frame the decision space. Having worked with people, this rule of people, what is true of a population is not true of a person. Uh, an individual is an agent, an agent has choice. So as soon as you prescribe to the manager, do X, and the manager says, oh, I've been told to do X, just think about your own emotional reaction to that. Even if you are the piece of the population that's supposed to respond in a certain way, just out of badness, you're going to do something different. So this notion that technology can somehow or other inform a manager of exactly the right action to make a human do something is just fundamentally flawed at its source. Because humans are agents with choice. As soon as they're presented with a context or a situation, their own emotions will drive how they respond to that. So when we talk about nudges, we talk about, or guidance, we actually talk about informing the decision space. Here are three strategies that are known to be effective in this context. Here's three ideas for you to think about, look at, guide. So rather than make the decision for the manager, which again, my experience of that is most people like, don't tell me what to do. You're just a dumb machine. Like I have that reaction to stuff that tries to do stuff. The decision for space for me, so that I'm not guessing. My decision is made easier. My decision is is supported by good information that has been researched, as opposed to me guessing from what I've read on some you know blog recently. That I mean, we're we're already kind of in that space, um, but it, it it's.
0: I think that's as close to prescription as you get. When we come back in just a moment, Ian has tips on how partners can become more data literate and how data can be best used to address business problems. Support for this podcast is brought to you by Vizier. The well being of employees and of business are intertwined. Keeping tabs on both means empowering people leaders with critical insights for the benefit of all. Vizier provides the insights you need to see your people. And your business clearly. Vizier has 15,000 customers in 75 countries around the world, including enterprises like Adobe, BASF, Bridgestone, Electronic Arts, McKesson, Merck, Uber, and more. Learn more at Vizier.com. That's V I S -S I E R.com. Welcome back to this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast, where I'm talking with Ian Cook from Vizia. HR, we need to bring, you know, we always talk about we need to bring HR on, HR needs to become more data literate. Now, what we clearly aren't saying is that HR all need to become data scientists. That's certainly not the case. And obviously, tools like Vizier are actually mean that doesn't need to happen as well but we do believe they need to become more data literate i think hr as a profession needs to become more data literate be able to think more analytically tell better stories around data now what's your perspective on how hr professionals can achieve this three things three things three things let's start let's try three and see if i got it right
1: Um, the first is intent from the chro like i i think the chro sets the tone by which hr business partners provide their consulting and, and again, we could likely go through our clients that suspect you would do the same and go where we have a CHRO that says data is not your job, but it is part of your decision cycle. You you need to be oriented to, to considering the data and people decisions or you're not really aligned to my HR business partner, partner approach. Second piece is kind of baseline information. I mean, I, I'm still slightly bemused at the, uh, it's probably on me even, but just the lack of understanding of certain measures and certain metrics. Like we hear people use attrition rate. I really never like the word attrition. It's not that comfortable word. It possibly goes back to my early history lessons about World War One. but you know, resignation rate. I see commentary in the press well, resignation rate, that's people leaving the workforce. No, no, that's somebody voluntarily resigning from your business. They may or may not leave the workforce. So I just think there's a massive amount of education on how do you get clear about what measures mean. How do you understand what those measures are? If somebody said profit, we would all know what profit means. So I think there's just a baseline of of relatively straightforward education around headcount is this, resignation is that, or exit models involve this, movement is this, promotion is that, providing that information. And then the the secondary piece, which we've seen work really well, is office hours. Uh, So Rather than try and sheep dip every single HR business partner into being analytically oriented, we should have had the experiences where you try and create mass knowledge in a population, like you end up having to, to go through it again and again and again. So what happens with an office hours approach is you create a baseline of knowledge, you put an expectation of practice, then you support the people who are trying to get it done. So as it becomes relevant for them, they can access somebody to guide, inform, shape, build their skills one-on-one coaching drilling into like so what does this actually mean there are so many p- nuances and permutations as you start to use people data trying to say it means this and only this is, is a bit of a losing battle again this is sort of from personal experience like so ian my resignation rate is going up what does that mean it's like well it's probably bad but let's go and look at the market and see if it's going up less than the market let's look at if it's your low performance or you know people who joined us, but we weren't really confident they were going to perform in the first place. Like it it, it ends up with so many contingencies to actually understand the meaning. Those are best resolved when people work through a problem as opposed to transmission of information. So don't think about building analytics capability as a chalk and talk problem. It's a use and resolve and and dig and experience problem. So building up that, again, we've seen great success building up that those sets, C.H.R.O. can kind of mandate baseline understanding of the measures and what's possible. Trust in the data, and then
0: uh, emphasize learning through use. Yeah, confidence, build confidence and community. I guess it's 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 so important. Um, something we talk a lot about inside Two 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 is uh, is uh, uh, that people analytics is not about HR. People analytics is about the business. You know, are you seeing more organ- HR organisations now addressing, we talked about this a, bit, a little bit already, now addressing business problems with people data? And, and what, how do you see how that process can be improved?
1: We, we do, is the first answer. Um, two ways in which it can be improved. One is to continue to hire people into the analytics, people analytics domain who are oriented towards business problems, business situations, so they they come with a you know business operations first mindset and and they have the credibility kind of consulting ability to connect with those individuals i mean it is quite simple understand how the business makes money understand how, what it takes for the business to be successful which is easier said than done but that that's sort of a you know a first base the second piece we've seen certain organizations do is actually put in a people analyst overlay to the business unit leader in the same way as they'd have a senior HR business partner attached to each business unit leader. They don't try and make that HR business partner, both a business partner (laughs) for the people and a, you know, deeply capable analytics individual. Like that's, that's such a broad spectrum of practice. There's just very few people who have the orientation, let alone the skill. So they double up. And put a, a capable analyst alongside the business unit leader. So there's the FP&A person, there is the people analytics person, the business unit leader, and if it's a people question, the HR business partner. So that that starts to become this powerhouse of insight that can really help you know those two, three, five hundred thousand person business units richly use people and cost data to actually get the business done. One thing that you need to do, David, to get to that level of implementation skill is to automate the data piece. Like we we see in our own data there's a there's a transformation of the number of data engineers to the number of analysts where the data wrangling group shrinks but the analyst population massively increases. And so, you know, there is there's this maturity curve where and it will seem strange to people because if you're in the in the midst of trying to wrangle your data and it's a mess and it's difficult, those people are your friend and it's really valuable. But once you've once you've got that, you have to build it in such a way that it can be automated, so that you can focus on the interpretation and, and use, um, not get stuck in the constant break fix of of data.
0: People love examples, you know, and I know you know many um, examples of of companies and clients that you've worked with. You know what what are the best examples you've witnessed of of companies that have made a real impact with people analytics and where you've seen people using, you know, where you've seen people using people data to solve real business problems? I have a spine
1: chilling one (laughs) right now, which I'll share. It's public. It's on the Vizier website. It it relates to Providence, Gary Russo and and Mark Smith over there. So Gary has been an expert practitioner for many years. They are in the throes of uh, a great resignation and and nursing staff being absolutely essential to their quality of care. And I I really am, admire Providence because their primary measure is care quality. It's, it's not financial stability. It is care quality. And they look at how do we turn our money back into care quality. And so Gary went to the finance group and he went to the nursing leadership. So direct contact with the business stakeholders and said, I want to understand you know, the dynamics in our nursing population. So his very first analysis was actually, which jobs inside my business are sensitive to change in pay? What he found is, would surprise a lot of people, only 1% of their jobs does paying more have an impact on resigne- on retention. Like most people think, like they sort of, the default mindset in most businesses, like, oh, people are going to leave, pay them more. It's like, you now we're kind of beyond that transactional world, but it was true in Providence's case in 1% of their roles. That's still a lot of people, but it's 1% of their roles. So that for me was the first marker. It's like, let's see if our assumptions are right before we go in actually mess with the stuff so then they worked out what they would need to pay uh, what in order to change the trajectory on resignation and and what that would mean in terms of cost to the business but returns to the business of lost delivery all the other pieces so long story short they've been running that for a while their estimation is they've saved the business 6 million dollars and they've reduced their resignation rate by 30% in that targeted population the key piece for me is you know gary had to go to the the head of finance and say we're going to pay people more it's going to save us money the key piece for me is that they believed him he could prove it they've done it and it worked and so this isn't hr for hr this is you know people data a deep understanding of the dynamic inside the business with finance nursing leadership people analytics really not just, I mean, not just helping the business on the financial side because Providence is going to turn that straight back into um, quality care. So it's a, just a, a wonderful, as I said, it's a really, really amazing win story. I have a ton of respect for Gary. I hope that's really clear, but I think, it's a, I think that's something we should all aspire to.
0: We hope you're enjoying this episode of the Digital HR Leaders podcast. If you are looking to continue your learning journey, head over to myhrfuture.com and take a look at the My HR Future Academy. It is a learning experience platform supporting HR professionals to become more data-driven, more business-focused, and more experience-led. By taking our short assessment, you will see how you stack up against the HR skills of the future. Then, our recommended learning journeys guide you every step of the way, helping you to close your skills gap, deepen your knowledge, and press play on your career. I hope you're enjoying my conversation with Vizier's Ian Cook. In this final section, we take a look at some of the pitfalls that can happen when businesses fail to embrace data in their people making decisions. Tell us Ian what goes wrong when a when a company fails to make decisions based on their people data.
1: Where do I start David? There's so many of these that are really well <laughs> documented. My 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 favorite and very simple one is this thing called turnover contagion. I have been engaged in in prior life as a consultant a number of circumstances where employees were let go. Typically finance will look at the conversation and go oh we've got to cut budget in this unit by five percent ten percent so let's let go the people who represent that full budget amount but there's this thing called turnover contagion when your friends are let go or a reduction in force is put into the business it creates uncertainty it creates shock it creates all kinds of other human reactions which leads to more turnover so it is really well documented that organizations often fail to save the money they anticipated because the way they execute on a RIF actually creates more cost that they didn't anticipate that then destroys the entire you know, benefit they were looking for in the first place. And it, it is such an oft-repeated and simple example, actually looking at, well, what, how are people going to react to this news? What else might happen? How would we adjust our plan? to take that into consideration because you know my view is not oh we shouldn't let go of the people there are business realities they'll no point in running at a loss because the whole business goes down but if we've got to reduce 10% let's take turnover contagion into account maybe we just need to start by letting go 5% and see what happens and adjust let's increment the decision we do have other examples from clients where again finance came with this exact men- mental model and the people on the scene said oh whoa, 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 whoa. give us a week we think we can help They looked at the math, they looked at the time frame, they said, if we don't fire anybody, but we let hiring freeze, natural attrition, some early retirement happen, we'll hit your number. We will not have given anybody a pink slip. People may or may not understand the massive difference that is, but if you want to then rehire or you want to be seen as a good player in your community, if you've been able to adjust cost without firing anybody, there is nobody out on Facebook Yelling about how bad an employer you are—you know that doesn't show up on a balance sheet, but it should be considered in the decision.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Good example. And uh, we're moving to the last couple of questions. You know, obviously, you work for Visio. You've 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 helped all organ- companies implement the technology and and help them on their people analytics journey. But you know, I'd love to hear your your take. What is the role of technology in, in being successful with people analytics? You know, for example, there are organizations out there who have built their own tool similar to, to to provide some of the capabilities that, that Vizia provides you know what are your thoughts on build versus buy uh, when it comes to people analytics the data i have on that
1: david is is a couple couple of fold um the, the technology is a catalyst and uh total cost of ownership wise you have to think about the end state you are going to get to when you start and this is what lots of organizations didn't do they like oh doing people on like quick grab tableau i can make a dashboard and off i go three years later and we talk to these people they are they are buried in data management hell um so you know the difference in in a an application that is purpose built to handle people data is a level of automation on the pipeline of data the standardization of data all of those various components that are super powerful the second piece would be and again differentiating vizier I know the resignation rate to the end of March, 2022 out of a population of 10 million employee records. Any customer of mine can go and look at that and can use that in their decision basis. I don't know anybody who's built their own analytics tech stack that can aggregate across 10 million employee records and and, and return it back in their in their system. It's just a capability that's not there because you're not sitting on the data like we are. When you're answering your own business questions, no problem. If you can grab that data and attach it to a Tableau dashboard lightweight for a business unit leader, no problem. As you start to need to position that in front of 500, 1,000 managers to say you should care about your trajectory of women's representation because you are not beating the market, that lack of infrastructure is crushing. So we're in the view of build and buy. What we believe about our technology which is borne out by its use is because we've thought about the people data challenges like hierarchy, like security, like the mashing together on a data model of talent acquisition data with learning data with um, Jira story points, our facility to use and reshape that is way faster than a data warehouse. And it persists and it it persists everywhere that, that that at your core is the only way you're going to be able to automate the distribution of data at the scale you need to actually achieve what is you know, the end state of, of people analytics. So somewhere in the region of 60% of our prospect conversations right now are people who've built and come to the scalability world. We've named it. It's so prevalent in our conversation set. I'm supporting 25 dashboards. To support the next 25, I need five more people. There has to be a better way. Not to get too political on it, David. Build's been fantastic. We've proven a ton of stuff. We've we've demonstrated the value. It is it is. Not a wrong approach, but to truly get to this scale, you're going to have to introduce a level of automation for one thing, and you're going to have to introduce some market context as another. And that starts to become an order of magnitude more difficult than just building out your own practice.
0: Makes sense. Makes sense. So Ian, moving to the last question, and this is the one we're asking everyone on this series, what do you believe to be the two to three things that the HR will really need to do to to add business value as we hopefully, and I will still say hopefully, come out of the pandemic.
1: I think HR needs to go back and focus on the effectiveness of individuals and teams as it relates to managerial decision-making. And so I, I kind of think we need to get out of our heads of like, how do I make the capture of the engagement survey better or more more good-looking and how do I help somebody use that data to enhance their team, decide which opportunity or combination of people are going to go and do that work? And so it's about what are we focusing on? Uh, how do we use data to inform those decisions? How do we bring all that data together? Again, one of the things I know that's been challenging in the past and we've sort of seen it grow over 10 years is well i've just got the headcount data or i've just got the hris data there's some things that's interesting but there's a lot more richness we are now classically a client will have six separate source systems integrated inside vizier the most rapid growing space is sentiment data how do i feel and experience work not not aggregated engagement but individual level level survey data so you can really start to close this loop on we made a policy change some people liked it some people hated it we looking at our different segments of population how are we responding to those different segments because the notion that there will be a single policy that applies to every employee going forward and that somehow that will work i I think we have to let go of that belief because i don't think it's a it's right for 2020 We got away with it in the past because everybody showed up to the office, but we are in a much more diverse working pattern world going forward. So yeah, I think the focus really is on enabling managers, be it business unit leaders, be it team leaders, to appropriately use their people data in driving, enabling, activating day-to-day performance of people. And then assembling all of the data you need to do that.
0: And I guess as as companies come back some are already back whatever back means Uh, but but as the hybrid the conversation around hybrid evolves people data is going to be absolutely critical to that isn't it so you know if a company a is deciding that we're going to have predominantly be an in-person um four days a week whatever it is you know people data is going to tell us okay what's the impact positive or negative on retention um on promotion um, on succession planning um, on our ability to attract key talent um, versus an organization that maybe is, is more f- adopting a more flexible approach. You know, what's the impact positive and negative on our ability to attract different talent pools in different locations, um, get more diversity into our workforce. It's just so many questions that you can answer.
1: There are lots of questions you can answer. I'd also recommend that people focus on what's the impact on the work. You know, um, a friend of mine who works for a large software company that I shall not name, uh, shared that they had 20% more more code check-ins in their flexible work situation than prior. So that's basically like saving one fifth of their headcount budget. Code check-in means the code is ready to ship. So it's it's product, it's revenue generating product. So 20% more code check-ins, it's like, let's not lose sight of that in all these decisions about should you or should you not be in the office like i i i know that's the way the conversation is being framed i feel like that's missing the point <laughs> in terms of actually let's use the data to focus on the work let's give people permission to do the work they need where they need it to get the right things done uh, we we aren't talk we aren't really talking hybrid or remote we're we're talking flexibility um, that's the policy we're running, but we need to study the work. So again, what does a H- what does HR? I think the People Analytics teams need to start thinking about how they study the work, so that we can make these experiments. We can look at you know what we sent developers home. We got a twenty percent lift in productivity. Why do we want to bring them back to an open plan office so they can hide in their, under their headphones and be disrupted on, you know, every 15 minutes? We know that's a bad performance situation. So long answer and, and not necessarily in the flow of how the press are playing it, but I, I'm i always about trying to like get to the core of what we're actually trying to do and use data in a smart way to do that.
0: Yeah. Great. As you said, lots of focus on the where at the moment, but... There needs to be more, and as you said, the work itself. So, uh, that's a really good point. It's a great place to to end it, Ian. You know, thank you so much for being a guest on the Digital HR Leaders podcast. Please, can you let listeners know how they can stay in touch with you, follow you on social media? I know you post a question every Thursday on LinkedIn, which I think people should get involved in, and and also find out more about Visia.
1: Yeah, so personally, me, like the best place to follow me is LinkedIn. Um, I, I've not managed to find my way onto other social platforms, but uh, I love LinkedIn. I run a Thursday debate, which is a invariably a people analytics or a people behavioral question, uh, eliciting different points of view so that we can all kind of learn. Um, it's kind of, I think it gets pretty good play. So it's, it's a fun place to learn if you're interested in people analytics. Uh, I also tend to post on, you know, the issues around labor market and what's changing. So LinkedIn is the place to connect with me for sure. And then if you want to learn more about Vizier, our website is a great place to start. We, we have a blog again, lots of good learning on, uh, practices there is a path to success contained with a, all of that insight that will help any practitioner you know avoid some pitfalls and accelerate their path so that would be the two ways to go vizier.com
0: brilliant ian thanks very much and i'm really looking forward at some point to seeing you in person again hopefully at some point this year
1: yeah likewise dave it will be sometime this year take care
0: thank you so much for listening to this episode of the digital hr Leaders Podcast. I do hope you enjoyed it. My thanks again to Ian Cook from Vizier. If you did enjoy listening, please do rate the show with five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and share it with your friends and colleagues via social media. We rely on your feedback and support to keep being able to make the podcast. For more from us at Insight 222, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and you can sign up for our weekly newsletter by going to myhrfuture.com. We'll be back next week for episode four of series 23. Well, I'll be talking to Shlomit Grumman-Navot at OLX Group. Until then, stay safe, stay well and take care.